Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs on Monday, December 11th. The man to my right needs no introduction. As soon as you hear him speak, you will know exactly who we have on. That's for you audio folks and for you video folks. It is Bob Schmidt, host of the Fear the Fro podcast. Made some bangers last year, including the Joel Embiid cha-cha song, which I'm sure... Bob, we will get to the intro in a second, but I do have to ask as we welcome you back. Will we be getting any new Bob Schmidt singles over the course of the season? I, I have one in the works right now, but it, it started after the Portland game, um, and I feel like it's quieted a little bit in these last two games. It was about JB's job security. So uh, I don't know that it's going to play right now, but it's in it's in the till. I'm going to finish it, and I'm going to sit on it, and then if it seems topical down the line, I'll roll that one out. But there's always stuff kind of in the works, so. It's just, it's just as, as inspiration hits me, essentially. Amen to that. I hope we get to see it, but under good circumstances. But nonetheless, we're going to rock the intro. Bob Schmidt, Zach Weiss, Across the Cavs on Network 216. Welcome back, folks. So, Bob, the last time we spoke, uh, what? Last, I think it was last February, right before the All-Star break, before the trade deadline. The Cavs were in, in that mix to be one of the higher seeds. And now we come into this year coming off a fantastic win over the Heat. So since it's been a minute, about your thoughts on the season to date and if they're better, worse, or about what you expected? I guess I would say... I don't know if I would say that they're about what I expected, but that's more about the path that it took to get to where we're at. In terms of my overall feelings, I think 13-9 and nine is, is pretty respectable, and it's pretty similar. It's close to where we were at this point last year, so all things considered, I'm pretty pleased. I think things are trending up. Yeah, no, I think you definitely agree with that. The, the glaring difference was it took the Cavs until – I think 10 or 11 games to get a winning streak, whereas last season was to lose a game, lose Darius, win eight straight, and then Darius and Donovan take turns missing games, and then thing, things went as they did. I think this year, Bob, at least so far, the backup guard does not seem to be a concern, whereas that was a huge area of weakness at the beginning of last season, thanks to Craig Porter, and even last game, the emergence of Sam Merrill and his spot minutes. Yeah, I, I think in general, if there's one thing I feel distinctly better about this year, it would be kind of just bench depth across the board. Obviously, at the guard position, Craig Porter Jr. has been a revelation. Um, but even just from the wing positions, like I think last year, most of us probably came out feeling roughly the same way, which is you may know about the effort that Okoro is going to give you on a night-to-night off the bench. Or you may know what Levert's going to provide, even if his splits are inconsistent and he could be great one night and bad another night. But in terms of kind of consistency and reliability, that felt lacking a lot last year. Whereas now, I mean, take even take Craig out of it because his minutes haven't really been consistent. But uh, the wings, you know, Okoro, Yang, uh, Struess's addition, all those guys that realize Struess is starting, but all those kind of guys who are filling those, you know, two to small ball four roles, uh, I think that's that depth has vastly improved to the point where we've much more reliably been able to go to bench units where Mobley slides over to the five, but we're still able to get consistent production, even and even better production than some of our, you know, two big lineups 
from those small ball situations. And speaking of that, curious about your thoughts on this. I did a post game on Friday after I'm still shocked, honestly, the way that whole heat game went so many different talking points that you can take on that, whether you're disappointed about the start, more excited about the finish, the intermediate overcoming some non calls. And it's, maybe the craziness of winning the free throw battle by 15 in a game where you were clearly hacked twice as much and yet you won the free throw battle, but there were the no calls. But my question to you, Bob, we saw something I don't think we've seen in the Jarrett Allen era. Jarrett Allen, of course, the inspiration for your pod name, the fear of the fro in the second quarter with the team struggling, they pulled him out of the game while Evan Mobley was also injured. I, I can't say that that's the norm, they bring in Tristan Thompson in that stretch. They played their best ball of the game. They went from 16 down. They led at the break. So what are your thoughts on that stretch of ball? And if that's where Jared Allen is going, or maybe just where he was on a, in a tough matchup against him, a hungry Miami team. I, I, I kind of agree with the assessment. Like Tristan Thompson's minutes were great. And there was even parts late in the game. Like when we rolled out of the third quarter into the fourth, I kind of wanted to just keep it going. Uh, with Tristan in there um, as much as I am a huge fro advocate and, and most of my stance about uh, getting outraged when people talk about trading him and dumping him for a wing. So much of that is that there are clearly situations where having Mobley and him alongside one another is massively important depending on the matchups. Now I will also freely admit though, this season, the times when he's been off the floor and Mobley's been forced to man the five and we've gone small ball have been incredibly effective, more so than I ever thought that we would see. So if anything, I would say that, yeah, it has softened my stance a little bit as far as, okay, we can play some effective basketball. We can win games in situations where maybe Allen gets schemed out. But that being said, I'm not an advocate of trading him at all because this idea that that's a sustainable thing and that we should roll with that despite some of the dominant bigs that are out there across the league that'll probably be there in the conference finals, in the NBA finals rounds where the Cavs aspire to be, uh, I think that's short-sighted. Uh, and truthfully, there's a part of me that thinks even if, even if Allen proves to be less impactful than he's been in past seasons because of Strews, and Yang and this kind of spacing offense that we seem to be trying to integrate. Even if that's the case, my hope would be that by the time his next contract rolls around, the Cavs can just sign him to a deal that's commensurate to more of what the centers in the league seem to dictate and get, which is, I mean, Jared's on the high side of that, to be honest. So what's to say he won't sign a more market-favorable deal as we all, myself included, come to terms that, okay, maybe it, doesn't long-term prove to be him and Mobley, you know, 1A, 1B. Maybe it proves to be distinctly Mobley, and Allen is good and great in certain situations, and in other times, we're better suited to go small ball. Uh, I just think the people who looked at what happened in the playoffs and were ready to throw in the towel on Jared based on what may be the worst potential matchup for offensive rebounds in the league, uh, I think that's incredibly short-sighted. I also don't think he would have returned what people were throwing around. Um, and for the people who are ready to just take whatever, whether it be Doug McDermott or Tim Hardaway Jr., regardless of how good Tim Hardaway Jr. has been this season as a six man, I still don't think that's a trade you make any day of the week because volume shooting from outside is far. Uh, it, it's it's in surplus in the modern NBA. Like these are the skills that almost everybody's trying to develop. So I think it's far easier to find a guy like that than a sub 25, you know, center who 
for whatever limitations he has, he's still exceptional at, at what he does, as evidenced by the fact that he beats the NBA in true shooting percentage and that he's not a guy that requires volume, but he's a guy that can excel in small volume when we need him to. So all that to say that with three years left on his contract, I believe, after this season, you think it is a near sure thing that Jared Allen will finish out this contract in Cleveland without being moved? I wouldn't say – I don't know that I'd say that because, you know, failure can force a lot of things to happen. Uh, I think so much of that is contingent on future seasons, but whereas last year – I feel like our salary cap situation dictated that the only substantial salary who could be used in a trade was Jarrett. Now what I would say is we have a lot more across the board salaries who have more than a year left, be it Struess, be it Levert, be it him, or even to a lesser extent, you know, your smaller chips, your Yangs, your Osmonds, your Wade, or not Osmond, your Yangs, your Rubios, your Wades, like those guys. It's it, you can you can cobble together big dollar figures a lot more readily than we could last year, where the chasm between an expiring Levert and Osmond's eight, nine million was significant. It was significant. Now we have multiple deals in that 10 to 20 million range where we would have options. Oh, very fair. And we'll, we'll see what does wind up happening with them. If a trade is made, if they stick with it, then the buyout market comes. I don't think there's 15 current roster spots. I mean, a lot of people hope that Craig Porter may get that opportunity that's for that's for another date so the Cavs begin Bob in about we're recording this at 5 45 eastern time so we're about an hour 15 minutes away from tip the first of a four game week thank goodness we have entertainment after two games last week and again season was fun but didn't like the off days on the schedule so the first game on the slate is the Cavs look to make it their fourth straight win since the Portland letdown we got the Orlando Magic Evan Mobley remains out of the lineup. Karis LeVert, I believe, also remains out of the lineup. Well, the Cavs get another victory, this time on their home court. Uh, sorry, on the road. They're at, uh, near Disney. They're in Orlando. Will they beat the Magic tonight? I'm hopeful. I, I think uh, overall, though, on this road trip, like if we came out of it with four wins in these six games, and I'm throwing Atlanta uh, in there in that you know six-game schedule of the two that we already won and then what's ahead, I'd be perfectly content. Um in this scenario where we have a back-to-back, I think it's far more important to get the win tonight uh, because I do think the odds are stacked against them to turn around and then have to go take on the Celtics and be expected to win there, especially not knowing what our front court situation is going to be. So uh, I, I'm, I guess I would say I'm cautiously optimistic that we're coming away with the win tonight, especially based off what we saw. Now, if Orlando tries to – without Mobley, it'll be interesting, right, because – Last last week, while it's easy to point to that victory and say, okay, well, it's a confluence of horrible things for the Magic. You know, on top of the, the injury early on, they also had Mobley just, or just completely destroy Franz Wagner, who insisted just on going at the rim again and again and again, despite the relative lack of success he was having in starting, you know, 0 for 11 or 0 for 12. Yeah, he, was, or he was rough last week. Um. But without Mobley in the lineup, I mean, it's going to be a lot harder to – you're probably not going to get those shooting splits again. And on top of that, I thought one of the most impactful things to offset Paolo's 40 was the fact that Mobley completely took Wagner out of the game. So uh, it's I think it's a harder path today, but I still am confident that the Cavs can figure out a way to get it done because it does feel a little bit like the Magic are backsliding 
just a bit since that, you know, nine win, nine game winning streak they were on. You know, the Cavs are the first team not named the Nets to beat the Magic since before November 14th. So that absolutely monumental win for them from that standpoint. And in that other area, you're getting a team that was one of the best in the league. They're through three games ahead of you in the standings. You gave them the business. So I think they win, Bob. I think they win if they can limit Paolo to – and I'm not limiting to 25 to 30 is considered limiting, but based on the fact that he just had 40 and now Mobley's out. Because the thing about Paolo is the difference from this year to last year, he's having more games with higher efficiency, whereas last year he'd kind of be bad for a stretch, but then all of a sudden you'd watch him and he'd, he'd look like a, a poised veteran – I think with I don't think Suggs is back yet. I don't know the the situation in Orlando with the guard play. So assuming he's out, and I think Jonathan Isaac might still be out. They're going to be giving uh, their last game that they played. They gave out Kiki and Caleb Houston minutes, not knocking either one of them, but they're the ones you'd want to play over the likes of a Jonathan Isaac who can terrorize you defensively for a very short stretch, or Jalen Suggs who's become a two way threat. Right, giving a bigger role to Gary Harris, which means the bench is thinner. And there are other young guys. Jet Howard's not ready for the NBA is what we've, what we've seen so far. I think the Cavs can play their game offensively. I think they'll spread the ball nicely. I think it'll be a good Struce game with a nice four or five threes. I think the backcourt will be ready to go. And I think Goga, Goga's had some nice moments in there in the middle, and so has Mo Wagner. But I think Jared Allen is ready to eat. And I also think Tristan Thompson's going to give him 15 good minutes as the backup today. Well, that's my hope. I, I half expect to see if I had to make a prediction that is based in nothing except just personalities. It's that if Tristan has to log more minutes, I'm expecting him and Mo to get into it at some point during the game. Or Nyang. I, I could see any three of those guys. I could see all three of them ending up in some sort of dust up. Um, no, there's but, no question about that. But Mo, yeah, I, I could definitely see Mo Wagner and Nyang, especially after what happened last week with that with the Heat game. What was it? It was jo- Josh Richardson, man. What that was. Uh... Multiple flops. I do like how I, I do like Nan calling it out though, because I definitely was thinking that multiple times during the game. He tried to take one in the backcourt when we were advancing the ball. And then oh, again, God, that was, and I, I thought, I thought I saw the flop gesture from the official, but then no call ever came. I could have sworn. I, I saw guess if game. you're losing by 20, the ref is like, well, you know, we'll let this one slide. Nah, they, it's, I, I never blame things on the refs when loss. But I do think the inconsistencies this year and the early part of the season have been as bad as they've ever been. Just If, if you're going to call something, call it with regularity. If you're going to eject somebody, don't pick and choose a night. If that's how you're going to play it, at least do it consistently. I'll tell you the, the non-call that outraged me the most was the step over from – from um Caleb Martin yeah. after I mean because I kind of thought you could have called that body contact anyway on Darius mm-hmm. but then yeah. just to salt the wound a little bit was like oh I hate this I want revenge this is when I want somebody else bigger than Darius back there to intervene but nobody seemingly saw it and Darius just took it in stride so yeah I I thought it would be a foul a goal t- I don't know why he slowed down if you're gonna slow down that's where you stop yeah. and fake because he Martin swung out he swung out you're like just beeline it straight line I kind of feel like he thought he was gonna get a foul call because he could have got to the rim a lot faster than that, but he threw it ahead to himself and just kind of swooped around, and that ended up costing him because that definitely is a highlight that'll live on despite the the final score of that game. Well, I'll, I'll finish that one out and we go to the next game. This, if we're talking about beeline behavior and he's going slow, you know, that's kind of sluggish, if you will, going back to the beeline era, uh, if you will. Uh, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Took me a minute. 
fairly stupid on my end, but I got there eventually. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really John Beeline. I got John Beeline's always got alums in every game. Uh, Karras, I believe, was a, was a Beeline player, and so was Mo. So you got a couple of them. He's, yeah. still, I think he's still with the Pistons now, I think. And that's not in a good situation. I believe he's still in the front office doing something. Maybe he's uh, like a consultant role of, you know, beloved guy there and locally. Let's just bring him on board for the vibes. Yeah, he may as well, right? You know, the Cavs will do that. Well, Cavs, we got we got Miles Garrett on the staff, pretty well, not on the staff, on the on the owners. He's pretty much there at every game, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but all right, uh, tomorrow night, the first of a two and three day set in Boston, uh, a venue where Cleveland made themselves right at home last season, the place where Karras and Donovan had their forty forty. Well, Kyrie LeBron action, a very special day that was, the overtime win, a couple other victories. So Boston, I believe, has Kristaps back now, so they should have their full array of weapons. Uh, Interesting, Lamar Stevens has not played much this year. It seems Delano Banton is back in the good graces of Joe Missoula, not that he was ever in the bad, so he's their ninth man. Their bench has been Banton... Cornette, Hor- actually not Banton, I'm sorry. It's Pritchard, Cornette, Hauser, and Horford. So certainly a collection of names that have all done good things this season, especially Sam Hauser's and catch and shoot percentage is close to 50. So Cavs will have their hands full. I don't think the lines are out because the Cavs will be playing tonight. It is the second half of back-to-back. I do expect a narrow loss. So obviously I, I would predict a win because I'm very confident in, in the Cavs, but should be a fun game, Bob. There's no question. I'll tell us. I don't think the cat. We haven't seen the Bucks yet, right? So this will be the first chance at one of those two teams. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I I obviously wish it was not on a back to back, but it'll good. It'll be a good barometer, and and hopefully by this point, I mean if we if we can stack up a third win tonight, then it, it'll be a little more palatable if things don't if we come out flat uh, in a back to back situation. But I'm eager to see it just because of this you know, substantial changes they made to their roster. I feel like last year uh, it definitely brought one of the most enjoyable games of the year with that Grant Williams overtime game and with Lamar Stevens having that, you know, five offensive boards in the fourth quarter. Like that was a huge, huge game, despite the fact that, you know, the regular season series, I know nobody gives any credence to it when they're handicapping who's going to be the powerful teams in the East, but I do think a statement win would go a long way um, for everyone. Well, obviously for JB, especially, but uh, to have such a, to have that shake up and to have Derek white playing as good a ball as he is and have drew in that mix. uh, I'm eager to see how the Cavs match up. I'm just, you know, crossing my fingers that, you know, we'll be as close to healthy in the front court as is possible. Yes. Hopefully Evan's back. Doubt it based on yeah. it being a back-to-back and also being a travel day. But with, if that is the case, I think we could get some TT, uh, significant TT minutes if they want to try and bang with Tatum. Could see a lot of Dean Wade log in 30 minutes. He, he's I think Dean good. Wade is, is pivotal here. On top of the fact that coming off of two good games, I mean, always the conversation outside of the you know cavalier community is who do they have to match up with those dominant wings on the other teams is mobley going to do it all the time and i think a lot a lot of times outside people overlook dean but Uh dean's had a couple of really big games and especially in an absence from mobley i mean that is his chance to really win some people over if he can give serviceable minutes and just slow i thought he did excellent on butler um over the course of that miami game so if he can step up in this void that'll go a long way to solidifying a place in the rotation, even with Mobley back in the fold. 
And I feel like he's been doing this for the last couple of years. If they would have had him, I think they advance out of the plane. Or there's a couple guys they would have loved, Sexton, Rubio, Wade. But Wade specifically, if they had him in the plane a couple of years ago, I think they would have won one of those two games and not not missed out on the playoffs. So, you know, when he plays, I feel like he does such a nice job on ball. I don't have the metrics in front of me, but every time I'm watching him guard someone and his hands are up, I feel like they're missing a lot more often than if it's someone else. And I feel like these last couple games has kind of solidified for me that he can look, he's not going to make all his threes and maybe it's still a shoulder from last year, but he's a confident. It seems like his confidence is kind of back as a shooter. He can make them. He can guard, he can rebound well for his size and build. So I don't understand all these arguments against him, why people are so mad at, at any praise on Dean. I, I feel like it's two things. I feel like one, it's frustration that anytime he gets just a little bit of momentum, it seems like it gets derailed by an injury. Um, and people are impatient about that and upset about that, which is understandable. And secondly, I think it's there is some degree of box score watchers there who look at Dean and see a night where he doesn't take shots and they get upset. And it may not even be indicative of what he's really done out there and how valuable the lineups he's been in have been because there are a couple plays here and there, like when he rebounded his missed three and put that basket in. Uh, yeah. You love to see that type of confidence, but the part of me that is rooting for the best for Dean is hoping that maybe some of the tentativeness was a result of injuries and that if he is close to fully healthy, we'll see him be more decisive and more aggressive on the offensive end. But still, even if he's not, he's been so beneficial just from a defensive standpoint that I I feel like he's right there in that mix of, you know, we all got on JB about how tight his rotations were, um, you know, only rolling seven or eight guys. Well, Dean Dean should wind that out because obviously Yang's going to be a staple. Levert's going to be a staple. Wade should be a staple. And Okoro is going to be in there too. I think there's an argument to be made that with the way Dean's playing, you know, nine guys should be the way that he goes. And maybe even more, because I realize people are, they want Porter Jr. in there more. Um, I get the difficulty, but at the same time, I think Dean's been very solid in the role that we need him for. No, there's no question. I, I think at a, at full strength, while you're looking at a consistent bench of a Coro, Niang, Wade, and Levert, and then you can platoon Tristan with... Uh, Porter, occasionally Merrill, and then you see how Imani's looking if you feel like you need that punch in the late part of the year. If not, then you probably wait till next season. When the G League season ends, you'll bring him onto the bench again as he was the beginning part, and you'll see. But it should be a fun one with Boston, and the beauty is we don't get to preview one Boston game, but we get two because on Thursday night after a rest day, hopefully enjoy the city and some Mike's pastry, get those cannolis. Hopefully not, actually, in season. Hopefully... <laughs> They're going to the Green Juice Palace. You know how it is uh, In on that Thursday game. Well-rested. Do you think there's a much better chance of winning Thursday, or do you think – Well, yeah, just just due to the unknown of Mobley. I mean, another couple of days gives us a better chance that he's back. That Because that, that, to me, more so than just coming off of back-to-back, that's its own set of obstacles. But if we're operating without Evan, it's just – it's a way slimmer margin of, of error there. So I would hope that a couple more days buys us a little more time. And that alone – along with the rest would, would be enough to maybe swing that more in our favor, but it's still going to be a very difficult obstacle. But, but I will say like, if we somehow pull this off, we win four or six or five or six, 
we're two games behind second place. And if those wins come at the expense of Orlando and Boston, the very top teams in the Eastern Conference, we close that gap even more. So uh, is it a tall order? Absolutely. But there's nothing that's going to wipe away relative disappointments against teams like, you know, the Trailblazers and even our win against the Pistons. I mean, there are some things that definitely could have been a lot more precise and satisfying in that victory. Uh, the fastest way to do that is by just going over, you know, the biggest obstacles in your way in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, uh, certainly. And if, if they can get through this stretch uh, of all this, next week they have Houston, Utah, New Orleans, and Chicago. So, And then after Chicago, they get three days off before facing Luka and Giannis back-to-back twice in three days. So if they could just get through this week, Thank you. Got wins with against Utah and Chicago almost definitively. The Rockets will be fun, honestly. Hopefully, if Dylan Brooks doesn't get into it with Donovan, it is what it is. I've honestly enjoyed him this year, which I didn't expect to, having watched a few Rockets games based on last season. I, I thought he was the worst person alive, uh, worst person alive in a basketball uniform, I should say. He's close. He's still close to me. You can win. Winning cures what ails you if I'm a fan of your team. But if I also hate your team and I hated you, the Rockets can do whatever they want to do. I still don't like the guy. I probably never will. It's just a matter of how recently have have you spurned me and that's, that's those memories point. in my mind. So, I, you know, good for him. He got He got paid. He's earning the money. The team is much better. They've taken a step forward. That's all great if I cared about the success of the Rockets, but I don't. And, uh, and honestly, all of their victories come against my agenda, which is I hate Dylan Brooks, Shangun versus Mobley. Uh, and he, even, even Fred Van Fleet, I have nothing against him except that he was with the Raptors for a long time. So that's most of the identity I associate with him. And I don't care for that team. So, uh, it's hard for me to get behind that team and I don't even love their coach. So that's what, yeah, that's another layer. Yeah, no, that's, that was a big preseason thing for me. And, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you don't see that, that type of thing that happens with him be public. And it shows his, if anything, a lack of character and maturity. Once you finally get a job of the magnitude he did after he worked his tail off to get up there. And then he blew it because he just couldn't use his morals. We don't need to get into the details of what it actually is, but I think people know. Un- say it again. People know. People, people know. know. Yeah. It's I mean, the underlying thing. and beyond that, outside of just th- that, coupled with the little dust up he got in with LeBron, is enough for me to just hate him forever. Uh, it's not. just again, it's just a long list of people who I just either casually dislike or actively dislike. And there's multiple guys in that Houston organization. So That's I fair. would sooner lose to the Jazz, despite them being a much or worse, like a much worse team than the Rockets this year. I would much sooner lose to the Jazz because at least there's human beings in that organization who I like and appreciate from their past with the Cavaliers. Yeah. I always call them the Jazzaliers because every year there's new trades being done. I I don't know that there's going to be one this year. Maybe I I don't, uh, other than I guess, well, Olenek, I guess is the only negative, right. Out of of everyone over there. Cause then you got Colin, you got Carson, you got Lowry. Even even him. I, I would say I've, I don't have a huge amount of rage for Olenek and I don't know if it's just due to the time that's gone by, um, or more so that I feel like it's kind of more of an isolated incident. Dylan has so many things, you know, there's, there's so many instances of stuff that I think are active, regrettable, even, even 
you know, their coach. It's like that was a conscious decision he made and continued in that that pattern of behavior. Yeah. I'm far more likely to hold that against someone than in the moment Olinick did something dirty. I'll always be upset because how it impacted our team's chances for the rest of the year. But I think he's kept his nose clean for so long now that it's like, even me, I'm like, okay, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for me to really, really hate you. You had to play with the Pistons for a while. You've suffered. Uh, so yeah. I, I think maybe he's one of the few exceptions of me being ready, ready to move on from my hatred for Kelly Olenek. And it's kind of crazy. He's been on five teams and might be on a six soon. It's huh? thinking about his time in Boston, his game seven, and then now all of a sudden he's been on five teams. I kind of forget people forget he even played for the Rockets. I know I do. I forget he was ever on the Rockets. There's a lot. They had they had a lot of weird transactions. That was a beautiful time in fantasy basketball for Kelly Olynyk. Oh yes, it was. I, that, oh. That's the other reason why he gets more of a pass from me because for a while he was one of the few centers that you could roll out there who would get you some threes and play relatively well in in limited exposure to turnovers. And so you know that will get you a bit more of a pass from me than than some of these other guys out here that I don't like. Dylan Brooks offers basically nothing from a, you know, fantasy profile, which would be your only way to redeem yourself in my eyes if you're Dylan Brooks. That's a, honestly, if we're going the fantasy route, there's so many guys I have a disdain for. I, I, well, I, okay, I'm not going to tell who I drafted because it's not. <laughs> now, now I need to tell you, I can't tell you what Warriors players on my team, even though I cut him and then picked him back up. I'm not going to get into that one because I love his value right now, but as a, and I've actually defended him many times since the years of the finals. And it's kind of funny because I did an episode talking positive about him right before the game. And then it happened again. Uh, and then, but we're not here. We're going to move on because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> we got one more Cavs game for the week to wrap it up. Bob, the Cavs play the Hawks once again on Saturday, a team that has gone cold of late. Uh, fortunately, losing Jalen Johnson, a massive blow to their defense, to their defense known as an uh, offensive team who I think uh, should be playing a lot less of Capella, seeing his slow footwork, his lack of anything outside the paint, compared with the Kongwu, who moves better, is as athletic, is a better shot blocker, and is equally impressive as a lob threat. They got Trey, they got DeJounte, they got Sadiq and Hunter. Bench rotation is very weird. I watched some of the Sixers game the other night. They were playing... Patty Mills, Trent Forrest, and Garrison Matthews, and because Trey and Johnson were out, didn't think we're going to get Patty Mills rotation minutes this year. And honestly, it was uglier than I wish because I, I kind of I root for him. I, I want him to be good again. Anyone who's Australian is mates with Delhi is cool in my book, but no Johnson. Trey should be back. They got their their Trury. I don't have a name for that backcourt. Young and Murray. Dejan Trey. Dejan Trey. There we go. That's uh, cool. that is a mouth, <laughs> no matter how you look at it, but it should be a fun game. Certainly they, they contained the Hawks and took them down pretty convincingly last time. So the second go round, will the Cavs finish the week with a W or an L heading into another four game slate next week? I think they win. I think they win. I mean, obviously Trey was terrible shooting wise in his first matchup against us. I also thought he was pretty passive. Um, but I think I think we looked really good. I think the areas that I was really encouraged by were whether Trey just was it was just an off night for him and he wasn't that aggressive. I don't feel like he attacked us the way that he has in, in the past. And I don't know if that's reflectant of, you know, the roster we rolled out. A lot, Garland was on him much of the time. So you would think that he would press that advantage. But the other thing I thought was extremely impressive with the Cavs in that game is where Capella kind of got out of the gate early. 
even though Jared Allen was in the lineup. Again, this is one of those examples where in the past, I would look at the physical center option. You know, Kong was more the laterally quick, springy guy. Capella's more your banger and your, you know, does the heavy lifting, shoves guys out of the way guy. And even though I thought he had a lot of success against Allen, when we switched Mobley onto him, I was very impressed with how capable Mobley was of holding his own and kind of neutralizing Capella as that game went on. And I think from that point on, kind of in the second quarter where we went to that small ball lineup, that's when we really started to build momentum and feel like, okay, this is a game that we're in command of. Regardless of what the score says, it's going to come out in our outcome. So, um, you know, the injuries as they are, you don't know what's going to happen, but not having Johnson in these games, we've had to face them is great because it's, you don't know what you're good. We had a game last year where AJ Griffin just lit us up. Um, but he and Bay are, it's all of the kind of frustration that you get out of, you know, like the Osmond experience where one game they might look great and they might give you 15, 20 points. And then another game, they're complete no shows. So, uh, I like our chances there regardless. I do think we'll come away with a win in that one. I would agree with that sentiment. I think it's going to be a very grinded out type of game. I feel like Trey is going to take that last one a little personal. Some, one thing about him, he'll have his bad days, but he'll absolutely bounce back a lot more often than not, especially against a team that really owned him last time and one that he really hasn't dominated too, too often. It happens some nights. It happens in the play-in, but it won't happen with great regularity. So I think he'll bounce back. But the, the the problem in Atlanta is they don't have too many days where the guards are good together. So him bouncing back means I think DeJounte is going to play worse. And DeJounte not having a good game is going to translate to the other Cavs guard opposite him taking advantage of that. So all things considered, I'll give the Cavs, Bob, a three-in-one week. A win over Orlando, game tipping off in about an hour. We'll take one over Orlando, a loss to Boston in game one, a winning game two, then they beat Atlanta to set up next week's West Coast matchups with New Orleans, Utah, Houston, and finishing out with Chicago. I want to say two and two, but I feel like that's the coward's way out. So I'm saying four and oh. No. All right. <laughs> no, really. I mean, probably two and two. I think it's, I think I'm almost certain that the back to back is going to be a loss. And I, I think it's a lot to ask them to beat Boston unless we're at full strength. Uh, so I would say two and two unless Mobley's back, and then I'd go your way, three and one. I'd be comfortable with that. If Mobley can get back by that Thursday game, then yeah, I would, I would bet Cass. But if he's not in the lineup for the, the second of those Celtics matchups, I think we're splitting this next four games. And the weirdest question you'll get from me probably ever, I, uh, there's, there's something I, I posted last week about – making your all washed starting five. So my question for you, Bob Schmidt, host of the fear the fro podcast and native Cavs fan and confident talker. My question for you, as you wrap up, you could name, we'll pick one washed Cav who played their washed years in Cleveland to join this team, to give them an edge in these Celtics games. You have them losing. Is there someone that comes to mind? Wait, one, one guy who, when he played with us, he was washed. He was washed, but would make a difference in this Boston series, like a Ben Wallace, for example. Okay. Well, yeah, see, yeah. I think that's the logical way to go would be to pick an enforcer because they could, you know, like uh, like when Kendrick Perkins, when we played those Celtics teams, that Jay Crowder series where J.R. Smith just, you know, cold oh. cocked him in the face. Before that, it was nice to just put in Perkins for a few minutes and watch him just demolish uh, Jay Crowder. So maybe – Maybe him, um, but Ben Wallace is a good choice too. Somebody who could physically just send a message. 
uh, I think would be important. Okay, so no, no D Wade, no Shaq, no, no Anton Jameson. Mm, I, I think. I mean, yeah, I think I'm, I'm comfortable with, I'm comfortable with saying Ben Wallace or, or even, uh, yeah, I think Ben Wallace. I mean, Shaq's always an interesting one. Uh, but he was just one of those guys where it's like, okay, after four minutes, he looks gassed, and we have to go back to Ilgoskis. So, um, yeah, I think I would go with Ben Wallace. All right. The uh, the real fro. Fear the fro. Yeah. Fear the fro. Which, by the way, every time I do one of these combo podcasts with the Pistons guys, I get hate. I like I get comments about, like, this is outrageous. You can't you can't call this fear the fro. It's I'm like, I'm not disrespecting Wallace. He was on our team. It should count for something. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I, I, I is he really is he actually feared the not feared ducks? I think we actually talked about this last time. I well, he... I'm pretty sure his ha- his Instagram handles fear the fro just without because oh. I had to put pot on the back of mine, and I'm sure I would have stopped at fear the fro if it was available. Yeah, he's um, fear the fro. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, he doesn't seem to be the type that's paying attention to you know who's biting his copyrights and whatnot. Yeah. Um, he hasn't, he hasn't posted a tweet since February. Uh, he hasn't posted a, a bird since – actually, no, he hasn't posted the 24th letter of the alphabet since February 7th. Yeah. He's so. a, a man of worldly, you know, important things to do besides, you know, policing his social media, which is no. good because if he, he stays off the internet, he'll never, ever become aware of what I'm doing and forcing yeah. – like, I, I do think about that day one day in the future where what if I have to change my name? What if he says, hey, I own the copyright on this and uh, it's too close? I'll have to figure out something to do. And I don't want that day to come. So that's right. You keep living your life in retirement, Ben Wallace. Stay off the webs. <laughs> and on that note, Bob, uh, we know we can find you on Twitter at Fear the Fro Pod. Where else can we find you as we as we wrap up today? Uh well, I mean, that's the majority of it. The, the YouTube page has all the parodies and things. Uh, a lot of those are set to video. So that's also at Fear the Fro Pod, I think, on YouTube. Um and that's the majority of it. I'll do guest guest pods with, you know, with you guys. There's a kind of more general NBA one that I think I'm slated for on Friday with the called FNA, which is an LA based podcast where I just know the guys. So they bring me on to talk about who, but aside from that, just keep checking out the fear of the fro podcast. And of course, across the cats. So. All right. My final question. I appreciate that. My last, is the FNA based on the dodgeball? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All yeah. Right. Well, their name, the names of the guys, it's Kevin Figures and Adam Osland. So that's the A and the F. Uh, but yes, that is just a parody off of that. I like that a lot. Shout out Jason Bateman. I didn't know it was him until I was much older. I never, I never registered that that was him announcing with, with Gary Cole. The great one-two fictional duo. Might be the best. Best yeah. I've seen. Yeah, that's an excellent movie. I very much enjoyed that. All right. He's Bob Schmidt. I'm Zach Weiss. This has been the latest edition of Across the Cavs. Next week, we've got Tony Pesta to talk Cavs and Jazz. We will Pasta! That's that's my favorite drop from the post-Knicks thing. You have to pull that up before he comes on the show because that Knicks fan berating him was one of my uh, the few joys in what was an otherwise devastating series. I will absolutely find that. And on that great pasta note, we will see you next week. I don't have any other pasta puns. I was trying, but <laughs> <laughs> we're playing the outro. Adios. Oh, <laughs>